0: We're going to read from God's Word this morning from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 18 down to verse 25. And We're thinking this morning about the virgin birth, we're looking at things that people might find impossible about the Christmas story, the things that people might find too far-fetched or struggle with, um, but this morning we're going, to, we're going to read this and we're going to engage with the virgin birth this morning through God's Word. So let's read from God's Word, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. And that'll be on about page 807 of your pew Bible or on the screens before you as well. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. May God bless us. The reading of His Word this morning. I wanted to begin this morning by thanking uh, those of you who came to me last Sunday and through the week to share your stories um, and your testimony about the encounters of angels that you've had. It was amazing to hear some of you tell me about the, the encounters that you've had, and which really kind of warmed my heart. We looked, at the, 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 we looked at angels last week, and I was blown away to hear about some of the encounters. Even to hear of people seeing angels in the sanctuary here is just remarkable. And I pray um, that we, we might be awakened more by God to his kingdom. And I praise him for what he's doing in this place. And this morning, uh, as we've been over the last few weeks, we're thinking about um, this Christmas um, sermon series, about how there's things that people might find impossible at the sto- about the Christmas story. Uh, and we're, gonna t- we're tackling them to show how actually they're not impossible, but, they're, but they are possible. And these things have actually made the Christmas story possible for without them, We have no Christmas story. We never want to shy away from um, the big... Topics uh, or the what are conceived as the, the difficult subject as church, and uh, we want to engage with these things because the Bible speaks about it, we'll preach about it. That's my how I want to live my life. If the Bible talks about it, we're going to hear what God's word says about it, and we'll engage with it, maybe as difficult as those things might be. If we want to grow in maturity as a church, we need to grapple with the big subjects that scripture brings and allow scripture to shape us rather than us allowing our preconceived ideas to interpret what the Bible says. And I think that, that that is a really important lesson that we need to learn. That often we come to Scripture and we read Scripture through my lens. This is what Norman thinks the Bible should say. Norman's had this experience through life and when I read the Bible I'll interpret it that way. But actually that's not how we should read the Bible. The Bible is the authority. We should allow the Bible to shape us rather than us alone trying to mold what Scripture says to try and fit it into our lives and this morning we're going to spend a few moments together thinking about the virgin birth and the integral part that the virgin birth plays in the christmas story it is safe to say that without the virgin birth there is no redemption that's how important this is for us as believers there is no cross there is no easter and there is no christmas without the virgin birth this is a crucial part of the christmas story and the gospel, and it isn't one of those things that we can take or we can leave. I told this story a few years ago, so forgive me if you remember it. There was once a lady who started going to church, and she'd been going for a couple of months by this point, and it was now Christmas time. To the minister, she had seemed to be one of those people who was really interested and engaged with what he was saying, that she was beginning to become interested in the things of faith. She was one of those amazing people that ministers would often look at because she'd sit there smiling and nodding whenever he was speaking. However, when he was preaching on the Christmas message this one Sunday, just before Christmas Day, he preached on Matthew chapter 2, verses 1-12. to 12. And in it, he had engaged with all the Christmas story and he would got to the bit about Matthew 2 about how the wise men and their experience of the Christmas, Christmas story. He thought to himself, man, that was a good sermon this morning and he was really happy as he's delivering it. And as we often do we, we, as, as ministers when we, when we speak, there are people that we look at in the church because they're so, they just smile at you, which is lovely to, lovely to see. Please be one of those people. It's lovely to, lovely to see. So he, he looked, looked around, maybe two or three people, and he came to this woman who was always smiling and nodding, and she's sitting there shaking her head with a frown on her face. And he's gutted. He's thinking, oh, man, what have I said? What have I done? And he thought to himself about this, and the sermon came to end, and he went to the door. And as many of the congregation were leaving, they were commending him on a bril- brilliant Christmas service and S- Christmas sermon. And he spotted the lady coming along who still looked really bemused and struggled. It looked like she'd been struggling with what she had just heard. And he's standing there thinking, man, right, what's this? I'm going I'm to put her straight. I'm going to ask her what's her problem, what she struggled with, why is she in a bad mood, what have I said, you know, what is, what is it that you can't believe with? And she came to the door and she said, sir, I just cannot believe it, it's too far-fetched. And he was horrified. And as he asked, what is it that you cannot believe? He's racking his brain trying to think of what she might reply. Was it the star that led people to Jesus? Was it the angels that appeared to people proclaiming the Son of God? Was it the, 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 virgin, uh, the virgin birth? Was it, what was it that she struggled with so much? Uh, and he, as he landed on the virgin birth, he thought, that's it. That has to be what she struggled with. And before she could respond, he said, Miss, it's the virgin birth you cannot believe, isn't it? No, no, she replied. I can fully believe in a virgin birth. What I cannot believe is that God managed to find three wise men. (laughs) Whether it's that God can find a wise man or wise men, plural, or whether it's the virgin birth that you struggle with, we're going to look this morning... And how we come to Scripture, we shouldn't be reading it with human limitations, but we should be reading it with God's authority. With God's authority. And in these verses this morning, we have just read, we have the why and the how of Christmas. The why and the how. Why did Jesus come and how did Jesus come? And both of those things are linked. We can't separate them. They're linked. And both of these questions are answered, the why and the how are answered, through the angel's interaction with Joseph in verse 21. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In this interaction, we have the name of Jesus being given. You will call him Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. That is why he has come. That is why this baby is going to be born. He is going to save his people from their sins. We have the reason for Jesus coming. We have redemption. We have salvation. We have Easter. We have the reason. We have the why as to why Jesus would come into this world. So, at the beginning of the gospel, it gives us the solution to the problem found at the beginning of the Bible. At the beginning of the gospel, we have the solution for the problem we find at the very beginning of the Bible. So the purpose of his coming was to deal with sin. Which then helps us to see the importance of how he came. Verse 18. The birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. That's the how. So the why we have is that he's going to save his people from their sins. And the how he comes Is through the virgin birth. It is through the activity of the Holy Spirit. Let us think about this from a human point of view for a moment before we engage and tackle this a wee bit deeper. In life, we can have an issue and we need to find a solution. And then the solution begins to manifest itself. Okay, so we have an issue, we then have a solution. And then the solution begins to manifest itself. Let's think about us as a church and how that works. A number of years ago, when Presbytery do that census thing, when they ask people to, to stand up depending on what age they're in, the session years before I came, when that happened, many in the church realized that there was a cliff edge coming, that we were an aging congregation that most of the people that were standing up were at one end of the scale and there was very little at the other. And as a church, it was a problem that was identified. Now, that's not my story. That was your story as a congregation. That was the the issue, that we were an aging congregation. There was a cliff edge coming. And as a church, as a session, as the elders, they decided that a solution needs to happen. We need to find a, a solution to this problem. At that time, there was a legacy given and we decided that we would look at employing someone to come in and work with young people, and then God in His sovereignty had moved um, had moved Graham, uh, the previous minister, to a place where he, he felt he needed to, to move on to something new. And at that time again, the session and the nominating committee decided that that they were going to look for someone that could help bring us as a church to become a family church, and further that that was the solution that was found. And then, so we had the issue, we've, then we've got a solution, but then the solution begins to manifest itself. And we're seeing that solution manifest itself now. There was an issue, there was a solution, the solution is now manifesting itself. We're seeing young people running around, we've changed, we've done things, we, we've tweaked things here and there. Why? Because we want to manifest that solution, we want to create space for it. The Bible presents the issue of sin And then Jesus, throughout the Old Testament, the Messiah, the Christ, is is shown and proclaimed and promised to be the solution for that problem. And then here, what we have at the Christmas story is the solution manifesting itself. And what's important for the solution is that it can't be part of the problem. So it's one of the reasons why the church decided to go for a younger minister with a younger family. Because the solution can't be tied to that problem. Now we could have said we still wanted to be a, a family church and, and kind of grow young and, and yes, you could have found ministers that were older but there was something about the church that led them to want to find someone young with a family. Why? To help manifest that solution. The solution couldn't be part of the problem. So for Jesus to be the solution to the problem of sin, he couldn't be part of that problem. He couldn't be tied to it. He had to be separate from it. What am I talking about? We need to go back to the garden. God creates this perfect world. There is no sin. Adam breaks his covenant with God. He breaks the promise that that he wouldn't um, eat from that, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he does it. And he breaks that relationship. He breaks the covenant. Sin enters the world. All he had to do was not eat from that fruit. But he does it. He eats from it. But the problem then is that sin isn't just a problem for Adam, but it's now a human problem. It's now a problem for all humanity. We, 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 we all sin, we all fall short of God's glory. We've all got this thing called original sin or total depravity. I've said it once and I've said it a million times. We don't have to teach children to do wrong. They just know how to do it. They know how to lie. They, we don't have to teach them. What we have to teach them is to say please and thank you. Don't, we don't have to teach them to do bad stuff. They pick that up by themselves. And some my children are very good at picking that up by themselves as well, I'd like to add. We don't have to teach them. Why? Because we have this problem called sin. And it didn't matter what we did. We couldn't break away from it. We were tainted as humanity, as sons of Adam, as descendants from Adam. Why? Because Adam had broken his covenant with God. Romans 5 tells us this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam. He breaks the relationship with God. Sin is the issue. And death through sin. So death spread to all men because all have sinned. How did sin enter this world? Through Adam. God's covenant in the garden is broken. Original sin then passes continually down through humanity. Every human father conceives their son or daughter with a sinful nature. Why? Because God's covenant was with Adam. So Jesus, if he's to come and be part of the to be the solution, he couldn't be part of the problem. Jesus did not have a biological earthly father. Why? Because he couldn't be part of the problem. He came to be the solution, which means then that he was born without sin. He wasn't born under the covenant which Adam broke in the garden. If Jesus had a biological earthly father, he would have been born into sin. Just like each one of us. All of us have been born into sin. But he didn't have a biological earthly father. What we read is in verse 18 of Matthew 1, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, other translations would talk about before Joseph knew her, before they had sexual relations, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus couldn't be part of the problem if he wanted to be the solution. Friends, what we find here is just incredible. This is not saying that, like many stories from Greek mythology say, and you know, there's movies that we watch that try and depict this about how the how God comes down and has a relationship with Mary. That's not what this is saying. That's not what this is saying. But what it's telling us is that, that supernaturally and miraculously the Holy Spirit brought about this conception. Jesus was born with no sinful nature. Why? How is this possible? Because of the virgin birth. His conception is integral to the purity of his nature. He was human but without sin. Why? Because he had an earthly mother but he didn't have a biological earthly father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But how is that physically possible? How's that possible? That sounds made up. That sounds crazy. Well, if we believe in the Bible, if we believe in the creation story, that God created something out of nothing. Genesis 1 says that about creation, that the earth was formless and empty. So too was Mary's womb. And just as in the creation story, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. We see the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God at work at the beginning of God's redemption plan. Friends, our God is in the business of making something out of nothing. He's in the business of speaking life into death. Where there's nothing, He can bring life. Where there's despair, He brings hope. Verse 18 tells us that Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And in Luke's gospel in in chapter 1, it goes into a wee bit more detail about it. Luke's gospel chapter 1, verse 35. And this is what we read. Mary's just asked, how will this be since I'm a virgin? How how is it possible, she's saying physically, for me to give birth to this this, uh, child when I've never done what needs to happen for a child to be born. How, how is that possible, she asks. Not from a place of doubt or disbelief. She just wants to know the mechanics of it. How, how is that possible? I'm a virgin, she says. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. That's how it's possible, Mary. That's how it's possible. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. God is going to overshadow you. The Holy Spirit is the agent of God's activity. We see him through the Bible bringing life to the places there's no life. And spiritually, that's true for me and you as well if you're a born-again Christian. How is it possible for you to be saved? Because the Holy Spirit has been active in your life. A place that there was death and sin, and he's brought God's salvation and hope and life and light. How is that possible? For me, that sounds more far-fetched than what we're reading here about Mary we're dead in our sins and our transgressions. So how is this possible? The Holy Spirit, the divine, the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit, this will be a supernatural conception we have. And this is how it's possible. The Holy Spirit would be active in it. And this image in Luke 1 about the overshadowing of God upon Mary should... If we know our Bible, it should bring us back to the Old Testament where God's people are standing around the mountain and God's glorious presence falls down like a cloud. That, that's what this image is meant to be conjuring up for us. That, that the Holy Spirit, would, that God would descend upon Mary. Just as God descended upon his people in the Old Testament, so too God is going to descend upon you, Mary, and he is going to make this possible. Just as it is at his death, In that tomb, which held a lifeless body for three days, we see the Holy Spirit active in bringing Christ back to life. We see it here as well at the beginning of the gospel. But it's not an empty tomb. It's an empty womb. And he brings his life to it. Friends, there is nothing impossible with God. But for us who come at this passage for the first time for those of us who aren't walking with God and who don't know him and who don't know the scriptures and who don't know about his power we struggle with this because we're coming at it from human limitations it should take us by surprise it should sound impossible because it's impossible for us but nothing is impossible for God nothing at all It should make our ears go, what did he just say? That that a virgin gave birth? How's that possible? God. That's how it's possible. Because God is all-powerful. But for those of us who have known him and who walk with him and who know him as the creator of the universe, as the one who split the Red Sea in two for Moses, who provided a giant fish for Jonah to be swallowed in and for three days before he was spat out, for the one who closed the mouth of the lions for Daniel in the lion's den, for the one who would stand with Daniel's friends in the fire and cause them not to be burnt. When we come to this, when we read about Mary, when we've read and we've journeyed and we know God, we think that's how it's possible. Of course it's God. Of course it's the Holy Spirit. And more than that, it reminds us of the prophecy spoken to the prophet Isaiah that Matthew helpfully records in verse 23. And we thought about those prophecies a few weeks ago, which is why we're not going into it in too much detail this morning. But it was going to be one of the signs of it, this is the Christ. Why? Because he's come to be the solution to the problem of sin. And this birth that we read off at the beginning of Matthew's gospel was necessary so that he could be called the Holy One. He'll be born without sin because of his conception. He will not be created, but he is begotten. It has to be this way. Why? Because of the how and the why he came. They're so connected. He came to save his people from their sins. That's why he came, that was his purpose, that was his mission, to seek after those who were lost. So we had to be born this way, begotten, not created, the perfect son of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are powerful. Lord, we thank you that you are at work, that you are amazing God, I thank you that there's nothing impossible for you. And Lord, maybe even this morning as we're sitting here, we are thinking about situations in our own lives which seem impossible, which seem lost, which seem too far gone. And I thank you, God, that you're here this morning. And and Father, I ask that you help us to come to you in faith and, and ask you to bring your life to the places where there is no life. Because God, that is who you are. You are the way maker, the miracle worker, the perfect God, the powerful one, the creator of the universe. You are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus, we thank you that you came to be the solution to our problem. We thank you that you were born in this way, that the Virgin gave birth. We thank you that you are called Emmanuel, Emmanuel that you are still with us. Be at work in our lives, we pray. For we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.